Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this evening to the, the book of Psalms. And we're turning to Psalm 123. And you'll find this on page 517. Psalm 123, and it has the heading, A Song of Ascents, and reading at verse 1. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us. For we have had more than enough contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. Prayer is one of those things that um, many most believers wrestle with and struggle with. Uh, our prayer life can be things uh, that disturb us, why we struggle so hard to pray. But when we think about what we should be praying for, uh, the book of Psalms is a real aid in that regards. Uh, because the book of Psalms is really a collection, not just of praises, uh, but they are really a collection of prayers. Uh, they are helping people articulate and to give expression uh, to faith through their lived experiences. And so we can think about the Psalms really as the original prayer book. Uh, they are helping us put to words uh, what we may struggle uh, to verbalize and to express ourselves. How do I come before God with what I'm going through? How do I bring these things or what kinds of things can I talk to God about? Is it just thanksgiving that I should be praying about? Uh, is it just confession of my sin that I should be praying about? The Psalms, again, highlight that all of life is to be lived in communion with God and that we can bring whatever it is that we are going through before the Lord in prayer. And this evening, as we're continuing our study on the Songs of Ascents, uh, we want to think about that in terms of Psalm 123. And how even in the hardships that we pay, uh, face, uh, that we can look to God. And we want to see that because God is merciful, uh, that we are to look to him uh, and wait upon him uh, for his mercy. We want to think about this uh, rather short psalm in just two simple thoughts. We want to think about the posture of the psalm or the psalmist and then the plea of the psalmist. First, we see the posture in verses 1 and 2. And you'll see uh, refrains or uh, repetitions that really accent the emphasis or the emotion uh, behind this psalm. But it begins by saying, To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. He describes his posture as one in which he is lifting up his eyes uh, to the Lord. Uh, Maybe you've seen a parent uh, trying to speak to a young child 
and that young child can be very distracted. Uh, even when they hear their name, they're, they're still busy doing their craft or they're still busy building with their toys. And then the parent might get down at their eye level and try and talk to the child, but the child is still interested in something else. Maybe the parent even tries to nudge their chin or to turn their face to, to make eye contact. But even then sometimes, the child may turn their face, but their eyes are still locked on something else. And sometimes a parent will even have to go so far as to say, where are your eyes? Or show me your eyes. And it's only when that child looks into the eyes of their parent that the parent knows that now they're ready to listen. Now they're ready for the lesson. Now they're ready to be instructed. And so a parent sometimes has to say things like that. Look at me with your eyes. Show me your eyes. The psalmist here is talking in a way as if to say something similar. That he is saying he is concentrated on God. He is looking to the Lord. He is fixated on God. In his situation, he's not distracted with all these other things. But he is focused on God and looking to God with intensity. And so his posture is described as one in which his eyes are fixated upon God. But his posture is also described not only as a, a posture of dependency, uh, but also as a posture of expectancy. You see that in verse 2. He says, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hands of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till... He has mercy upon us. There's a sense of expectancy in those words. Um, that as a servant looks uh, to one's master, so he describes himself as looking to God. You notice there, there's certain fundamentals about what it means to be a believer being expressed there. That first of all, he compares himself to being in a posture of a servant. And he acknowledges God as his master. That he recognizes that his life is not his own. He is not simply living unto himself however he wants to live. He's not the king or the queen of his own life. But rather he assumes the posture, the position of a servant who is accountable and dependent on his master for his own well-being. That's the life of faith. It is one in which we are willing to take the low position because we recognize one greater, but we also depend on the greatness of the one who is greater. But here, as he says these things, he says, our eyes look to the Lord till he has mercy upon us. And at the beginning of the verse, he says, as the eyes of a servant looks to the hand of their master. Maybe you've heard it said before that in Eastern cultures, uh, oftentimes people give instructions just with hand signals. A lot can be communicated just by moving your hand. And a servant would pay very close attention to what a master is doing so they know what they're supposed to be doing themselves. And while you can make a, a connection there, that doesn't seem to be really what the psalmist is getting at here. Because the psalmist, in the light of the overall context of the psalm, he's not so much looking for instructions, while that would be true. He's looking to the Lord for relief. He's looking for help. He's looking for mercy. And so just as a servant would look to one's master for the provision of food, 
from the hand of the master. So the psalmist is describing themselves as in a posture of looking to God to provide for their needs so that they get the help and the relief that they need because they recognize themselves as needy. Every one of us here is a creature. And by definition, that means we are dependent. We are dependent and needy. And to the only question is, to what degree do we recognize our dependence? To what degree do we recognize that we have needs? And not only do we have physical needs of bread and food and of water, not only do we have emotional and relational needs, but our greatest need is ultimately to have our our relationship with God reconciled, to be made whole again in the sense that we would no longer be living in sin, that we would no longer be living under the weight of guilt as we were singing about there in the Psalms. Our greatest need is is that God would have mercy upon us and help us with our guilt. But our needs go even beyond that because we live in a world where there is sin, and we are, we are sinned against. And where we live with hostility and real evil. And this psalm here is really wrestling with living unto God in the midst of opposition. Of being treated with contempt. And yet clinging to God all the while. What do we do when we find ourselves being scorned at? What do we do when we find ourselves being treated with contempt? Here in this psalm, he is describing himself as a servant who is completely dependent on God, who's waiting on the Lord to bring relief, who's waiting upon the Lord for his support and his strength, as we were again singing in the psalms. And so here is a psalm about a posture of dependence, a posture of expectancy. He's coming to the Lord, recognizing that he is his master. The life of faith is one in which I acknowledge that I am under God. But it's also a life of faith where we are looking to God because we expect him to have mercy. Some things I know about God. And the psalmist is saying one of those things is is that he helps those who call on him. He is merciful. And so we want to explore this plea uh, that the psalmist makes. Notice in verse uh, 2 that he shifts as well. Uh, He begins the psalm by talking about a very personal uh, situation. I lift up my eyes uh, to the one who is enthroned in the heavens. But in verse 2, it shifts. Our eyes look to the Lord our God. In other words, this isn't something that is peculiar to one individual. This isn't something that is particular to one situation. This is, this is the standing of the people of God that they share. It's a condition in which they can resonate with themselves because they all identify with this, this animosity that they are wrestling with. And so it shifts here to be more communal or more corporate. This is a shared experience of the people of God. But the substance of the plea there is expressed. He says, have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us. 
he goes on to say, for we have had more than enough contempt. More than enough. It's the language of actually eating. Uh, to be more than satisfied. Sometimes we're in enjoying a good meal and we might eat more than we need to. Uh, we're more than satisfied. We, we went beyond what we needed. Uh, here, the language is not of eating though, but of receiving contempt. Uh, the cup is overflowing with contempt. It's more than I can bear. Uh, this is beyond uh, my capacity. And so it is uh, highlighting something of uh, uh, the, the challenges that he is facing. Uh, this language of contempt uh, is to be looked down upon. It is to be treated as uh, unimportant. It is to be despised on account of who we are. Maybe you've experienced something of that yourself. Maybe you've said something or you've done something. And just by saying certain words or doing something that is not approved of by others, you have experienced something of their wrath, something of their disdain, where they look down on you as a result and reject you as a person. You're no longer looked at as important or with any dignity. And that's what the psalmist here is talking about. It's bad enough when a stranger expresses contempt for us, but that contempt can hit even uh, closer when it comes from one's neighbor or one's friends or even one's family. You turn to the book of Job. Job is a man who's suffering. But if you go back and you read the story of Job, Job explains something of the dynamic of his own experience. He says, Because I stood in great fear of the multitude and the contempt of families terrified me. I kept silence and I did not go out the door. The contempt of family. There's a cost that can be endured for one's integrity of faith. And sometimes one will be hated by one's own family. And it'll just be a wound that goes deeper and deeper. Derek Kidner is an Old Testament scholar and he makes the point that here, when we're talking about the language of contempt, that Jesus talked about it in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus said that contempt was more murderous than anger. That murder is further down on the scale, but contempt is further along towards murder than even anger is. And here, the psalmist is talking about bearing that contempt that others have directed at him. That it's more than enough. It's, it's more than I can bear. And so he is pleading, uh, uh, pleading to the Lord for mercy uh, because of that situation. Where is this contempt coming from? Uh, he says in verses 3 and 4, uh, he highlights two aspects of those who are expressing this contempt. It is coming from those who are at ease, and it is coming from those who are proud. Those who are at ease are those who are secure in themselves, and those who are secure in their situation in life. They see no problem, and they have no desire to want to change. If you go back in the Old Testament... There was one uh, king of reform. His name was Hezekiah. And at one time, Hezekiah wanted to bring reform to the nation of Israel. 
he actually wanted to unite a broken nation. And he sent out couriers to bring the people together. He called them to come and to celebrate the Passover at Jerusalem, as is commanded in God's word. And so we're told that these couriers went out and they, they told the message of the king. Uh, the king sent them out and uh, the king wrote to the people, if you return to the Lord, your brothers and your children, you will find compassion uh, and you will find compassion with uh, your captors and return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if you return to him. Here's a man of faith reaching out to those who are of the covenant people, telling them to turn to the Lord. And it tells us that after sending out this message, but they laughed at him and they scorned and mocked them that communicated that message. These were people that were secure. These were people who had no interest in changing. These were people that were part of the visible church. And so here we see something of the contempt that can be directed at the people of faith from those who are very close to them and the pain that comes from that. Seeing others mock and belittle and throw away what they hold as precious, the mercies of God, the word of God, the will of God. So this contempt comes from those who are at ease, but they are also described as those who are proud in verse 4 of the contempt of the proud. That is those who exalt themselves and live without fear of the Lord. As with many of the Psalms, we don't know when this Psalm was originally written. Some people like to surmise that it could have been written uh, with the Babylonian exile when the people had been sent off Uh, into Babylon and then after when they came back uh, to the land of Israel uh, because it seems to fit the experience of what the Israelites went through whether or not it is the original setting of the psalm it does seem to fit and when we were reading there in Nehemiah Nehemiah dealt with something of the contempt of the neighbors around them when they were trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and in Nehemiah chapter 4, we're told about some of those people who opposed them. Sambalat and Tobias scorned the people and ridiculed their efforts at rebuilding the wall. It says uh, in verse 2, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and the burned ones at that? In other words, they were wasting their time. Do they really think that they can restore it themselves? Do they not realize how long it would take? Do they not realize how many people originally were involved in the building of the wall? Do they not realize that these stones have already been destroyed? All of these questions and mockery of their intentions is really an effort to undermine their work. And so as uh, they're doing this, they're uh, seeking to discourage them. James Montgomery Boyce uh, says the easiest way to oppose something that you do not like is to ridicule the effort. And this is the first thing that these leaders did. He goes on to say the reason people ridicule what they oppose, aside from it being so easy, 
is is that it demoralizes and it's frequently effective. That's something to keep in mind, especially for those of us who are young in the faith, because there will come times when we are scorned, when people hold in contempt the faith that you hold dear. And we have to remember that sometimes people hold in contempt certain things because they're threatened by it. And they are wanting to, they are wanting to discourage you in that pathway. They are simply wanting to undermine the, the path that you have chosen. It is effective because it strikes at the hidden insecurities or the weaknesses that everybody has. The Jews were faced with uh, these accusations from Sambalat and Tobiah. What are these feeble Jews doing? Do you think the Jews didn't know they were feeble? There was only a remnant. Very few came back. What are these feeble Jews doing? Do they not realize how many people it would take to build a wall? Do you think the Jews realized how hard this project would be? How long it would take? All these things are simply to undermine their confidence. What are we doing? This is futile. Maybe we shouldn't be even doing this. Maybe our brothers were right who didn't come back. And all of this is simply trying to uh, expose their insecurities, their weaknesses. Sambalat mocked the Jews but, uh, because ultimately he felt uh, threatened by what they were aspiring to do. And in the same way, when people mock the Christian faith, it is to discourage people from embracing it. But more than that, it is because they're unsettled by it. This evening, as you hear these words, ask yourself, am I someone who is actually scorning the path of faith? Am I someone who is actually trying to undermine other people's confidence in living a life of faith? Do I try to erode other people's pursuit of honoring God? And do I recognize that that is an aspect that the life of faith will be met with? There will be those who pour contempt on the people of God because they feel threatened, because they don't value, because they don't agree with it themselves. Those who follow Jesus, Jesus warns, will be hated. If they've hated him, they will hate those who follow him. They will be accused of promoting hate. They will be uh, dismissed as a small remnant of the past by others. What is going to cause Christians to endure such contempt? Ultimately, it's the same thing as what the psalmist is saying here. To the one who is enthroned in the heavens, it's God. But it's what I know about God that is vital. It's God's verdict that is decisive. And knowing that God is a God of mercy. God will help. And it is not in vain to honor our God. And so here, as we think about what Jesus says, anyone who would take up, follow him must take up his cross and follow him. We think, why would anyone want to do that? Why would anyone really deny themselves in this way? To crucify themselves, to crucify their own will, 
in order to honor Jesus above their own will, to make Jesus master and to assume the posture of a servant. Why would someone do that? It's because of what they know about Jesus. Because their eyes are lifted up and they've come to see something about Jesus. As we looked at this morning, they see something about his hands. His hands were pierced. They see one who was willing to be crucified in order to rescue them from the weight of their sin. They recognize that he is enthroned on the heavens. He has been raised and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so he is exalted and he is worthy of their worship. And so they they prize that more than they prize the verdict or the opinions of others. They're able to cling to that even while they bear the scoffing and the contempt of others. And so we may find ourselves on, uh, quote unquote, the wrong side of history. We may find ourselves facing difficulties simply because we won't budge on certain convictions. That God's word has that much force in our life that we won't just bend to capitulate to other people's pressures. But what is a believer to do in that? This psalm is teaching the believer that in the midst of this dynamic where there is hostility, contempt directed at them, they're looking to God. They're looking to God for relief. But they're not giving up because they know their God will bring that relief. They know that their God is at work even now. And so they are uh, waiting upon him ultimately to provide, even as a master provides for his servants. The Christian then is marked by lifting up their eyes to the one who is enthroned in the heavens. We draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy in our time of need. Where does a believer find relief when they are opposed and demeaned on every side? It is by knowing that God takes notice of us in our desperate state and has acted on our behalf. God sent his son to save sinners and Christ will intervene and override the verdict of sinners. This psalm then teaches us to look to the Lord till he has mercy on us. Christ showed the mercy of God when he came into this world and he will bring the mercy of God fully when he comes back to set all things right. The life of faith then involves many things. One of them is dealing with contempt. We won't be praised by everyone if we're being faithful to Jesus. That doesn't mean that we're looking for problems, but it means how do we process it when we find ourselves on the receiving end of contempt? The believer is not one who lashes out in response, but is looking to God for direction, yes, but ultimately for relief, for support, for strength to be able to respond with grace and wisdom and to be able to honor God who came to show mercy to them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about uh, the life of faith and the words of Jesus about uh, the hatred of this world towards those who name the name of Jesus, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to know what it is we believe 
and that by your spirit we would cling to you uh, even when we feel uh, overwhelmed and having received more than we can handle. Lord, we confess our own weakness and we pray, Lord, that you would grant to us faith to be able to make sense of our situations in a godly way. Go before us in Jesus' name. Amen.